Hello and welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, It's Only a Sequel, where we take a look at the fearful world of horror follow-ups. And today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, please welcome filmmaker, actor extraordinaire, Mr. Richard Fish. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, me too. Well, well this kind of all started as a bit of your brainchild, really. I think um, I was just saying before we started that I was kind of looking to do like a a podcast that celebrated horror films more generally. Um, I want to do something quite interesting, but I couldn't quite find it. And then you would, on a kind of separate note, said you wanted to do a podcast about Scream 2. And then so that all kind of culminated in, well, let's do a podcast about movie sequels. It's like, that's like a like a specialism that I have, you know, in terms of like, I really love uh, kind of horror, uh, you know, horror franchises and, uh, you know the movies that come with them and a lot of my favorite films are actually sequels um you know to kind of mainstream popular kind of horror entries so you know i think stuff like um hellraiser my second favorite film of all time is hellraiser 2 um you know uh my favorite nightmare on elm street film is like nightmare on elm street 4 like you know it's um so that's kind of where i'm at in terms of niche so i thought oh this is I've got a real soft spot for horror sequels. I never, I'm never one of these people who feels like sequels are inferior. I like to take every film as it comes. Um, and I think uh, the film we're going to discuss today is, uh, uh, you know, fits right in that wheelhouse. And it's kind of the, as you said before we started, the perfect film to kind of start this from because they literally start off describing sequels as inferior within the film. Um, of course, the film we talked about is Scream 2, uh, the classic. Um, so, like, I mean, I'll let you start. Like, you know, um, what what are your feelings generally about Scream 2? I think, like, I've got really strong feelings about Scream 2, actually, because what it was for me is I remember you saying to me a while back, like, I think Scream 2 is better than Scream. Whereas whenever I talk to other people about the Scream movies, it's everyone, I was like, oh yeah, the first one was really good. And then they made a bunch of sequels and it's the same as everything else. And it's like, the sequels weren't as good. Like I, li I like Scream 2 and I really like Scream 4 and I'm really yep. looking forward to the new one. Not so much a Scream 3 fan, I suppose we can kind of talk about I mean, about I that, like but... it, but it's not, it's the weakest entry in the in the franchise. And it's, it's, it's not Kevin Williamson. So, you know, I suppose that says something. Yeah, the, but there's so much to like in the third one as well. But I... I like I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Like my favorite screen movies are two, four, one, three. I think is my kind of order that are going. I um, really like the original Scream, and I know you're less of a fan of it, but I think the reason I've got such a soft spot for it is because, well, I'm not like a big horror person like you. I just like horror um, movies generally, but I think Scream was the it was almost not the first horror movie I ever watched but it was the first horror movie that I watched again and again and again and again and again and it's it's yeah. it's a it's a great one because it is a horror movie about horror movies yeah and so when Scream 2 came along I was really excited to see it and for me it was just as good as the original but everyone else was kind of like less enthusiastic about it well I think it does um exactly well it, it does exactly what Randy explains that a good sequel needs to do um, is it takes everything from the first film and it it makes everything better, more elaborate, and it improved. It base it's a little bit kind of like, and bear with me, it's a little bit like Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, where it does everything the first film did, 
but just a little bit different and a little bit better. Um, and, and because of the kind of film it is and because it's a meta-narrative, it doesn't, it doesn't get bogged down in the fact that it's repeating its own steps because it has to, because it's a horror movie. And that's the point of it, you know? Like, yep. so it, it doesn't lose marks for doing the same thing because the whole point of the film is that it's repeating the past. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I think it is, it's, it stands as its own. I mean, obviously you've got to see screen one but i do think it works as its own film as well and like the characters have all moved on and then you have that thing that you get in all movies where characters that <laughs> by all rights were dead but they want to bring them back and it's like oh no i wasn't really dead i, I just got you know clipped on the knee <laughs> like what? like when donald pleasant gets blown up at the end of halloween oh, like, too and then yeah. it's like <laughs> and then he turned up with a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a scar on his cheek like oh right i burned him right. alive but i was fine but i guess at least in screen two they address it because randy randy's like to do he's like oh what's with that limp you got stabbed in the back a severed nerve it's like mate you were dead <laughs> I, have, I have a note here that says Dewey's limp question mark bit much um but it, like I mean I need we'll, we'll get into that as we go but like man like they really really I remember when it first came out like and when Dewey you know survived at the end I was like my god like this is pushing the boundaries of believability um well are we so, talking the end when he survives the end of scream two or when he survives the end of scream one well firstly <laughs> scream one but then scream two is like what um well i mean so let's let's kind of jump back to the end so the kind of general story for people who haven't seen scream two uh what have you been doing but uh, why are you listening to this yeah no but i mean <laughs> like so uh, it, obviously we will be spoiling the film but uh so if you just want to hear what happens in it that's fine if you don't Go watch it, come back. Um, but yeah, so basically the story of Scream 2 is uh, the, the, the movie of the first film has just been released at the cinemas. Uh, it's based on a book by Gail Weathers, who's played by Courtney Cox, who's a reporter in the first one. Um, and the movie kicks off a slew of killings that seem to be um, reminiscent of the original massacre in Woodsboro, um, which I think is supposed to have happened like two or three years before. Um, and uh, the first, the literally the first two kills are in the screening of this uh, film. And then gradually on campus, we go to campus where the survivor, uh, Sidney Prescott, um, now resides. And um, one by one, people on the campus start getting picked off, you know, um, and I'll I'll get to, I'll go through the plot first. Yeah. So you know. Um, anyway, she, she realizes the killer's back. She doesn't know who it is because that's the big thing about the screen movies is who is the killer. Um. So she you know she she tries to find out who the killer is. Uh, Courtney Cox returns. Dewey returns. Uh, Randy returns, and they all kind of try to investigate who who this killer is. Meanwhile, Cotton Weary, who was the guy she thought had killed her mother in the first one, who turned out to be innocent and was framed by her boyfriend, um, is kind of skulking around because he wants his like 15 minutes of of an interview to basic for her to say, 
um, you know, you're an innocent man. So he can kind of clear his name nationally and not live with the stigma of being accused of being a killer. Um, ultimately, she discovers who the killer is or killers are. We'll get into that in a bit. Um, and then, uh, again, there's a like the first one, there's a showdown between herself and, um, and the bad guys. And she comes out on top. She jumps in the air, fist, freeze frames... The best you're the best around plays, and that's the end of the film. Um, right, so I mean, my first note here we've got to talk about this first as I've brought up the best around is like uh, a movie is only as good as, as, as only as good as its soundtrack, I think. And Scream 2 might have one of the top five best soundtracks for a horror film of all time, I think. I'm so happy you brought this up because Scream 2, um, was I had the CD. And it yep. was one of those CDs that I was like always playing, like all of those songs, like I, I just know. And this was back when I had like 10 CDs. This was like yeah, yeah. early CD collection, like just like playing Scream 2 again and again and again. And like even like tracks that are in the movie for like 10 seconds, like yeah. not even like I know them inside out. Yeah, it is, it's like, yeah, we can talk about the Scream 2 soundtrack as well. That's not a problem. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's so good. I mean, I remember, I think with Total Film, I got like, at first I got, it was a CD-ROM. And it had five tracks from the soundtrack on it. Um, and then a bunch, when you put it in your, in your PC, back in the day, you had to put a physical disc in your PC. And then it had like a series of clips from the film just on this disc. Uh, and it had like the build up to CC, uh, CC's murder, um, the bit where the black guy is complaining about the former cameraman the new cameraman is complaining about the original like, cameraman. <laughs> Some throats, let's get in. I don't care. The guy right. in the union no more. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, he didn't die by uh, he didn't die by getting gutted. And he's like, oh, right. He goes, throat slash. He's like, what? Like, I've written it here. Um, he goes, I'm going to come back when things are a little bit, a little bit more saved by the bellish. Yeah. And I was like, what a line. That's, yeah, fucking that's amazing. Classic. But like, I mean, I I mean, I really like him as a character. Like, um, I think they really made an effort to diversify the cast this time because it is a bit white white bread, small town. The first one. Uh, yeah, and this... it's interesting on that. Like, what? Because did you watch it again this week or not? I watched um... literally. I watched it. Came upstairs and did this. Okay, because I watched it. I think Monday or Tuesday night. And I was watching all the way through it. I'm like, what, what's what's the actress that plays Hallie? And I'm like, does that make me racist that I can remember everyone else's name in the cast, but I can't remember what that girl's called? Well, she's she called did... Elise Neal. I've never seen her in anything else. That's what I want so... to talk about. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. is the like, so uh, Jada Pinkett, Omar Epps obviously opened the film and there's like yep. a huge discussion about like- and they're, they're both well known. There. Like I could point to other movies that both of them are in, but at least yeah. Neil, I've never seen her in anything. I don't know. Well, she's one of the kind of principal- She's one of the only people in the cast because here you've got Jerry O'Connell, Rebecca Gayhart, uh, Joshua Jackson, who weirdly turns up and then we don't really ever see again. I understand that though, because it's the Dawson's Creek link because yeah. um, Kevin Williamson and yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, but they kind of set him up like he's going to be a main character. They do. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, obviously. Um, Timothy Oliphant. You've got a whole load of people there just in this movie. I haven't included all the people who became household names from the first film, but these are like literally the class of 97 right here. 
And then like, it goes on, it goes on. You've got Laurie Metcalf, who is like famous, it, like much like Portia de Rossi. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny what you're saying about Timothy Oliphant, because this was the first thing I ever saw him in, but we'll, we'll go into that deeper. Yeah, and I yeah. just learned today from IMDb that in the CC um, gets killed scene, the girl she's on the phone to is Selma Blair. Didn't know that till right now. What? Yep. <laughs> CC's friend on the phone is Selma Blair. That's nuts. So, um, but like, yeah, but going back to what I was saying is, um, so the film starts with J Jada Pinkett. I don't think she was Jada Pinkett Smith at the time. And Omar She's not credited as such. Um, but there's a huge kind of, like they, it's like they have a huge conversation about black cinema and stuff like that. Then they bring in the black cameraman. Uh, we've got, which seemed to be like a trope in the 90s, which is you get a sequel and they go, oh, so their new best friend after all their friends died because um, they did the same thing with yeah. um, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer and I think, was it Singer Brandy? I, I could be uh, Yeah, the Singer wrong. Brandy and there's a guy as well, what's his name? Um... It's been a while since I've watched Oh, it's a long time since I've seen that one <laughs> I am doing that I, I've, I've, we, we are doing that one on the show though so, uh, Ooh, I'll listen we'll... to that one Yeah um, But yeah, anyway, the, my point is they made they made um, a huge effort to diversify the cast, and I think a lot of a lot of that was missing from the first film, uh, and it's it's noticeable, but in a, like a very positive way, I think, um, you know. But I I don't I think it's more than that because I I think it's conceivable that if it's in Woodsboro, it could be like this tiny little town where everybody's white. Like I'm sure oh, that I exists. see what you mean. And so they, and then they and then she goes to college, and it's like more yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that makes more sense. But it does, I mean, in terms of filmmaking, it does feel like they've made a larger effort to uh, be more inclusive. And I think, like, you know, that really helps the film. Uh, also, like, especially the camera guy, um, he's hilarious. Like, he is really good. Like, you know, I he feel is. like Jada yeah. Pinkett and uh, Omar Epps kind of are just there to be killed, really. Like, right. You know, there's, they're given some substance, but ultimately it feels like they're, they're just there to be victimised. Um, her, um, what's she called, Hallie, uh, feels yeah. like she's there to fill that best friend role. But yeah. then... Um, yeah, Hallie doesn't do much, and I think that's yeah. really why I didn't like, ever look um, into it. Well, she does she have make an impact. probably one of the best scenes in the film, but again, we'll go into that. In a I bit. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but the cameraman, he just adds so much to, uh, and it's a real shame when he disappears, like for the second half. Um, He's called the character's called Joel. This is Dwayne Joel. Martin. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, but like, it is. It does seem strange that yeah, out of all all the main cast, Hallie seems to be the only one who didn't, who wasn't already a star or didn't go yeah. on to be someone huge that is um, interesting. i mean maybe we should look her up maybe she's in something that neither of us yeah perhaps. i mean i'm i'm not i'm not familiar with her since then no. um so an interesting thing about watching scream 2 back now that i've seen it a billion times is looking out for like what the killers are up to in the scenes that they're in mm -hmm. um i really like that uh we yesterday i did a podcast about club dread and um, I misremembered who the killer was. So I spent the entire film watching this character and going, he's not that unbelievable for a guy who's going to turn out to be the killer. Yeah. And then it wasn't him. And I was like, oh, God's sake. So I was like, right, well, I definitely know the killers are in Scream 2. So I really paid attention to 
um, what the killers were doing. And there's literally moments in the film where you see them standing in the background, giving like death stares to people. And it's just like, wow, like they really did plan for this the whole way. Like, because a lot, of t- a lot, I think, especially Scream 3 and 4, a little bit, it feels like they circle with a finger in for that last act and go, who have we got left? It is them. Yeah, you know? and also I think, I'm just going to slag off Screen 3 for a moment. The things I don't like about Screen 3 is they're Quite like... Cox's this, haircut. Well, yeah, but then they, they also... There's, there's things I love about it. So they decide that Sydney Prescott's mum was an actress and she did various things. It's like, okay, you can kind of work, but you feel like it would have come up in conversation, especially in Scream 2, where Sydney's like training to be an actress at college or whatever. She's like, she's going to say, oh, yeah, my mum was an actress. Like, it just would naturally come up somewhere. Yeah. And then well, they, I... they decide that in Scream 3. And then also Long Lost Brother and what have you. It's like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But no. One thing I do love about Scream 3, and this is going to get me crucified, is the whole, like, joking about the casting couch thing and, like, how this girl got a part in a movie. In a movie pronounced by, uh, um, produced by Harvey Weinstein, they yeah, have a scene like that. joking mean... about this stuff and <laughs> In retrospect, that is, uh, it's a little bit on the nose, you know. No way um, that would, you would do that today. It was no, like, whoa. No <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, there were, it's very famous. There was a lot of people who worked for Harvey who did things like that as a kind of jibe at him. So Robert Rodriguez was like quite famous for um, kind of turning up to party. He turned up to a party with Rose McGowan. Um, just to make Harvey Weinstein feel awkward because he knew something had happened, mm. you know. So it's not outside the realms of possibility that because uh, a lot I know a lot of people who worked for who worked at the studio knew he was a bit of a scumbag. Um, I don't think they knew the extent of it, but you know, so they'd do things like that to kind of show him up. I'm not that I'm saying that's what happened here, but it is yeah. possible. Um, it's, like every time I hear anything about Robert Rodriguez, I'm just like, oh. He's so cool. Like it's like he just gets. It's like got a mystique about him. He just gets better and better. Well, he just does everything <laughs> himself. Like he, he doesn't yeah. need anybody. And so, like you go, what's Robert Rodriguez doing? You go, don't you don't you worry about him. He's doing his job. You go, oh, sorry, okay. Um, so yeah, but I mean, there is a there's a hell of a cast here. Like really, a fucking hell of a cast. And that with you know we talked about all these famous people, but we've we've missed Stab. You've got Heather Graham. Oh, you've well, got Luke no, I Wilson. haven't missed it. I haven't missed it. I'll like... back to it. Um, so, like, speaking of the spy who shagged me, Heather Graham shows up uh, playing Casey Becker in the film version of the original Scream movie. Um, but it gets better. Tori Spelling plays, um, ne- uh, what's she called? Nev Campbell. Uh, uh, Sydney, Sydney Prescott, Prescott. And fucking Luke Wilson playing Skeet Ulrich's Billy Loomis. The, the thing I love most about the Tory Spelling thing is, I, I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I think in Scream 1, they like make a joke about like, oh, if they make a movie about this, they'll get Tory Spelling, and then they do. Yeah. And it's... I think it's Rose McGowan, like, weirdly enough, yeah. who makes that joke. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's so well done. Like, honestly, I wish there was more of it. Like, you know, I really wish they'd gone a little bit further with like the kind of clips from Stab and stuff. But I do yeah. love, like, that scene has almost become infamous now of, you know, um, your mom, my mom didn't just leave town, you know, she's in a fucking body bag. So, you know, like, yeah. and it's like, 
that's become infamous as like a kind of spoof on Scream now. And I think stuff like this really helped that. But the thing um, that's great about it is if you watch Luke Wilson in that, he's not, you know, he's a much better actor than like, he's doing a person who's a bad yeah, actor. Yeah. Well, I feel like they and both are, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, but at the end where he goes, stupid, and like bangs his own head. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, it's, it's too perfect. <laughs> and the um, hair, how it's like slightly not as cool as Billy's. You know, he's just got like these little things out of the front. It's like, he looks like, you know, he's trying to look like a teenager when he's not. Whereas Billy, you know, they, it's like, okay, he's too old, but they didn't make a thing of it. They almost could have yeah. put him in like a hoodie with like some like graphic on and be like, hey, look, I'm young. But no, it's great. No, it is really good. But so like, moms, moms leave. I mean, moms. speaking of like, so we get kind of get introduced to like the cast of characters. Although again, it sets it up in a way that like, you think these are going to be who we're going to, because you've got literally in the same room, Rebecca Gayhart, Joshua Jackson, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Timothy Oliphant, um, Jamie Kennedy, um, and they're all arguing about movies. Um, specifically, Randy is um, explaining that sequels, by definition, have to be inferior, um, which is a, I honestly, like, I'd never noticed it really until this watch. But well, that's why Randy dies is because he literally breaks his own rule of like the reason everyone dies in the first scream is because they are flippant about the rules of horror movies. And so because they didn't follow the rules, they died. And he straight away out the gate, Randy goes, sequel to shit. No sequels are ever that good. And by doing that, he basically undermined any of his own advice. And that's why he dies. Huh. Because I know there's like the weird retcon thing in Scream 3 where it's like, I know I'm a virgin and I died. It's because this one time I had sex with this one girl over like video link or whatever, like a VHS yeah, yeah. tape is recorded. I was, I was weird. I was obviously like after watching watching the film, I was thinking about, oh, it is good that they um, that they managed to find a way to bring him back because I do feel like it's great when they kill him off like mm. because it's so unexpected that you yeah. genuinely think this can't possibly be the end for him right but it is and that's the moment where you go holy fuck like anybody can die in this like um and that is i mean in retrospect obviously it now seems weird to think that like you know Dewey would die or Courtney Cox would die. But at that moment on your first watch of Scream 2, when Randy is killed, you go, shit, like anybody's up for grabs then. Because if you're going to kill Randy, you, you're you willing to kill anybody. Um, all I can think is that he was difficult on set. Um, I, 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 I think it's more that they just needed to have that like shock thing and like make you believe that people can go because you know Sydney's not going to die even though I remember reading like at the time things like she even when that was like new she's like oh you know I'm not sure if I want to do a Scream 3 I don't want to be doing these Scream movies forever well I'm glad you are love you know looking forward to Scream 5 appreciate it yeah <laughs> um, um, I mean in that in the whole scene they reference a bunch of sequels that are um, you know um that are better than their predecessors definitely mm -hmm. um you know I, aliens I, being the big one i was gonna talk about aliens i need to say things about aliens so i 
I've obviously seen the Aliens films, but like it's not for me. It's not one of those franchises that I've seen like again and again and again and again. Like people have those things like Star Wars that they can like rewrite. Or for me, Scream yeah. is one of those. But it's weird. Two things. So Scream, I watched these again and again and again when I had them on VHS and maybe like early thousands, and then I just haven't watched them like because I don't watch films as much generally, or I tend to watch something new instead. And like I haven't watched them on repeat for probably a good fifteen years. I remember like five years ago I watched all of them one time and then last year i saw scream one in the cinema and there's things i noticed about that and then watching this scream two it's got to be like five years since i've seen it and there's things that i'd noticed that i never noticed before or things that i've seen from a different way just by virtue of like being older or like knowing more about the world so there's definitely things i want to comment on there but back to aliens they get the line wrong i watched i watched aliens couple of years ago i'm like oh they actually randy actually miscorrects him like josh yes. jackson is right yeah and the, and then like, I'm like oh because i always thought it was oh that's why he's randy he'll be correct in this and, and yeah. apparently it's just it's in the deleted scenes it's a fuck up like they got the take wrong and just used it because they thought it was the best dynamic or whatever yeah but i mean like but i think that adds a lot to randy's character that he miscorrects yeah. somebody wrongly you know yeah mistakenly he's, yeah he's um, just that like arrogant about his knowledge but I mean, again, as as I said, it's a per this this scene is why this is a perfect movie to kind of start this podcast idea on is that, you know, it really does go into, like, you know, why sequels are inferior, you know. Um, but what I do love is that, um, or sometimes considered inferior, I should say, um, that the house two, the second story reference at the end, like, I mean, that's not. That's not a mainstream film by any stretch, really. Like, I bet you've seen it. I haven't. Of course, I have. Like you know, it's got, <laughs> yeah. the, it's got the caterpillar dog thing in it. It's uh, that's what I remember it for. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just weird. House Two, the second story. I mean, it's a, a universally loathed horror film for some reason. Um, you know, um, but it's just weird that this film would reference it. There is a weird thing after that that. It's not got nothing to do with the film or anything. But for a second, when Sydney shows up to his class as they're coming out of this class where they've talked about sequels, Randy walks along putting on a British accent. And it's so uh, no, blame weird. the movie. It's a bit of a that uh, but it is weird. But I can believe him doing that. Like because it's always stood out to me as like a weird thing, but it's not like he's trying to convince anyone he's British. He he's he's a uh, college student doing a british accent to be funny or whatever in the way that yeah i would slip into american if i'm quoting one of these movies my terrible american accent that i, I really guess. need to work just, on or i will never act like, again <laughs> i try to think about back to like any moments in like the first film where he does something like that and i just came up with nothing and i was like okay. you know like so what the fuck's that about like it just it was just weird you know it took it, me out of the used, film for a second it used to stand out to me but I think on this watch, I was just kind of like, yeah, I can believe Randy's like weird enough to do that. Um, oh, I got to say about Alien, don't know why I have to say this, but when I was a kid and I watched Aliens, I did think Aliens was the best. And then on the recent rewatch, I'm like, you know what? No, Alien is better than Aliens. So I disagree on that one. Though. I, I, I really do flip backwards and forwards all the time. It's a, it's, it's a different genre. It's like Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. It's like there's a horror movie, then there's an action movie. Like yeah, what? I think like. I think if I'm gonna if I'm, I'm if I'm looking to have fun watching a film, I'm gonna watch Aliens. Mm. Um, but that said, like I love Alien as much. I think probably 
you know, so it's, mm-hmm. I mean, but I also really like Alien 3 on its own way, so. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed Alien Resurrection. Sorry. Uh, nothing wrong with Alien <laughs> Resurrection, mate. Don't let anyone tell you any different. Um, so. I like sequels that are a different genre, though. Yeah. Because yeah, I, no, I think, that, I think Alien, Alien and Aliens, Terminator and Terminator 2, like, they are very different films and I think that that's a good way to go about it let's make a sequel that has the same characters in a different genre I think that's clever yeah I, yeah I do like that um so the next thing note I've got here um so this is kind of in order really well, um is CC's death scene that's way into the film isn't it well it's the first proper kill um because you get Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps at the beginning and then nobody dies. We get a lot of character introduction. Then, so this this is probably a good half hour, 35 minutes into the film. Um, yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller, who, like, I don't know whether she's acting bad on purpose, because we know she can act. We've watched her in seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Have we, though, in 97? How long had that been going? Well, I mean, ob- obviously... This was like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. See, during yeah. see, I think this was her break during between season one and two. She'll have shot this, yeah. But even then, we knew we know she can act because we we watched we'd watched her in the show up to then, and we've watched her since. You know, we know. And she, is this after I know what you did last summer? I think it uh, is. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah Maybe so. just before. Um. I'll have a look. Yeah. I'm trying to remember like this is my memory of watching these things on tape because you might have been old enough to see this movie in the cinema I was 13, 14 I, I wasn't. Well, they came out the same year a few months right, apart okay. um, no I, do, I didn't get to see this in the cinema um, which is a problem for me because every single Scream film has been ruined for me because I didn't get to see it in the cinema I saw Scream 3 was the first 18 I saw in the cinema I was only 15 at the time but I managed to sneak in. I've um, got to I see s- it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'd already knew the killer was by the time I got to. Oh no! Every single one, someone t- told me who the killer is. Oh, that's gutting. And no. it's it's funny because watching Scream Two, I was thinking, like, especially, I mean, there's no spoilers because everyone's listened to this knows the ending. But like Mickey, I was kind of like, how did I not see that? Because they signpost it so <laughs> much, and I remember not working out who the killers were. I mean, maybe I just wasn't that clever, but like, it makes sense when he is. But I like how they kind of like just bat it out when um, Jamie Kennedy's like Randy when he's like, Mickey. But if, but if he's a suspect, I'm a suspect. So let's move on. That's probably the best bit of the film, I think. That discussion. I'll, I mean, I'll come into yeah. that. But the C, the build up to CC's death, I think, is mm-hmm. incredible. Where she's trying to call campus security, but when she steps outside the house where it's safe, the phone signal goes. So she kind of has to keep working yeah. her way back into the house to try and yeah. make this phone call. And then a friend jumps out and, and she goes, oh, it was you making that noise. Right. right, I'm safe. And while they're having that conversation, you suddenly see that he was never in the house at all. And he comes sneaking in behind. And it's so, so masterfully done. Like, 
It's you know what I've never even like registered all that in my mind. Like you're saying, I was like, oh, of course. Whereas I'm just like, oh, there's a killer there. Like <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen this film, but I'm just it's like not thinking about like how it's structured and how he's sneaking in. I'm, I've just always had this like, oh well, they're always in the house. Don't explain that. Like you're so right. Of course, he sneaks into the house because of that. I'm yeah. stupid. Thank you for making this film. No, better. but it's it's just uh, <laughs> like it's so like as as a slasher like you know set piece setup. It's so so well done. Um, like to be honest, like once he starts chasing around the house and she falls off the edge of the building, you know, and all that, it kind of becomes a little uh, all right, we've seen all this before, kind of thing. But the build-up is so good. It feels like very like um Bob Clark Black Christmas kind of homage, you know, like it's uh, you know, the kind of girl alone in the dorms kind of thing and it really feels like it's drawn from that that kind of isolation and I really like that bit, that's really good um, and then very quickly that happens it, things start to, start to snowball because they go over to uh, is it Derek's place or her place um, and she goes to call somebody, I think it's Dewey and um, there's a shot where they, he stood outside, she comes in, picks up the phone she looks back and the killer was obviously behind the door. He closes mm. it and chases her through the house. Really well done. Um, and then Derek runs around the back and he runs into the house to get the guy. And when she comes through, he's got a cut on his arm and Dewey appears and he tapes it all up. And there's a moment and it's so well done where she looks at him and she's like, there's no sympathy on her face whatsoever. Yeah. She's like, you're a more fun killer. Like, that's the look on her face. She's like, yeah. not like, are you okay? She's like, you, you're the fucking killer, aren't you, you dick? Like, and like, that's, it's just, it's really well done, I think. However, um, it does cause problems for Sydney's character later on in the film. But I'll come to that in a minute. Because this seems to be a character choice that she's made, that like, she's not close to anybody. She's kind of closed herself off emotionally, you know, um, even from kind of her partner, like she's mm. not fully invested in him, which is why he gets up and sings that stupid song in the canteen later. It's because he's trying to kind of break through to her, I suppose, because she's become emotionally uninvested in people because that's kind of a safe space, I guess. And that seems kind of like the the anchor point for, right, this, so this is where she is emotionally. You know what I mean? Um, so then we've got uh, Randy and Dewey meet up uh, we have the Luke Wilson scene. They're watching it on the TV um, in like some bar somewhere, aren't they? And then, um, and then they talk about sequels. You know, the um, you know the, the the body count's always higher. The killings are always much more elaborate. You know, um, so we've got to pick a suspect, kind of thing. Um, Carnage Candy, I think he calls it. Yeah. Yeah. Carnage Candy. So he's goes. It goes to the list. It goes Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. If he's a suspect, then so am I. So let's move on. And then yeah. Dewey says, Why aren't you a suspect? And he says, Well, if I'm a suspect, then you're a suspect. And, and then Dewey, Dewey goes, Let's move let's on. Move on. <laughs> um, and it's at this point that I can't figure out what the fuck David Arquette is trying to do, like in terms of his performance. Because as the film goes on, he levels it out. But in those early scenes, he comes off like doofy from scary movie like yeah it's weird it's like a weird like a weird acting choice i think 
I, I, I can't remember the monologue at all, but I do love the part where he's talking about like, what if my like inexperience is a way of like lowering expectations? So yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Oh, I, wish, uh, I, I wish I knew the quote because it's beautiful. Yeah, but, like, you know yeah, the blaming. I mean. And then he says, uh, he says, he says, because he's reading passages, isn't he, from it? And he says, uh, he says, definitely do we oozed with inexperience because yeah, yeah. now you feel, excuse me, I've got, got some, some oozing, oozing to do. To do. <laughs> It's just no, it's fantastic. No, it is really good. But he, he's too awkward. Yeah. Like, um, and I think that with like the spine injury, and at first he plays it with his hands and stuff as well. Yeah, he's got like a weird... yeah, which yeah. completely disappears in like the third film. Um maybe and he's recovered. Yeah, well, I guess in into the second... having been stabbed some more, you know, maybe second... you got hit like a different That's nerve. A, that is it like getting it. bonked on the head? You got bonk. Oh, oh, I've forgotten everything. Get bonked Memory again. Comes... Exactly. It's like that episode in Ninja Turtles where he thinks he's um, D'Artagnan or whatever. Like, <laughs> so you get stabbed in the spine once, you're like paralyzed, you're stabbed again, are back to normal. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really over the top for the first half of the film, and then it kind of evens out as his relationship with um, Courtney Cox kind of starts to mend itself, which I wonder if is intentional. But if it is intentional, it is it's a bad character choice, I think, um, because he he just seems like like I say he seems like a parody of himself. Um, he comes off more like Doofy from Scary Movie than... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, I'm trying to think how he changes. So in Scream 1, he's like just a bit sort of awkward and shy and he's like trying to be a grown man because he's a police yeah. officer or whatever. I don't know if he's that different in Scream 2, but then I guess in Scream 2, he also is not a cop because he's not... He's, he's, he so, does so like he... this weird smile with his face all the time that's like yeah. super awkward and like... He's got very squinted eyes the whole time. It's just very strange, especially when you remember Scream 3, where he's basically like a bodyguard. Like, it's just mm. seemed, it's a weird character choice, I think. Um, and like I say, I've written here, Dewey's limp, get watch. Um, because he does really overplay it. Um, and I think, yeah, I feel like in 1997, that might have been okay. But now it feels like it's borderline, like, too much, you know what I mean? Do you have that noise? I got like a clipping. Oh, it's gone. Um, I don't know. Like it's never stood out to me. Like now you're saying, I'm like maybe, and I do think probably of all the characters, he's the one who I think like, oh, maybe David Arquette is just like that. I don't know. I've yeah, maybe. But, you know, I, like and I it's do always like, find it very strange yeah. as well to kind of realize in those scenes that him and Courtney Cox are actually married in real married, life, yeah. and I'm like. Like, this doesn't feel like a fit at all. Like, you know, especially when he's overacting the kind of, mm -hmm. with the kind of awkward doingness. I'm like, like, it just seems like such a strange combination. But I'm sure in real life, you know, they're very different. Uh, I mean, well, I've seen David Arquette play kind of drastically different characters, including, um, here's a weird connection. So Sam Michelle Gellar played Buffy, um, but David Arquette was in the original Buffy movie. Yeah, he was. I've forgotten about that. He was. Uh, he was a Kirsty Swanson. Yeah. Yes. I've only seen that once, and I was like fourteen. So I, you'll forgive me. Uh, it's very it. good. It's very. Yeah. Good. And um, these days, I enjoy it all the more because I know that Joss Whedon hates it. So. <laughs> um, right. So this brings me on to my next. I mean, like 
no film can be without criticism, obviously. Like, mm. so I, I, again, although I love Scream, there's a lot of weird stuff in here that, in retrospect, I'm like, so here's a big one. Why is Sydney Prescott an actress? I don't know. And I have the same problem because if she's this person who's trying to like hide from like the limelight and all of this, like, oh, I want to have like a quiet life where nobody knows who I am, why? Would you try to like be in front of an audience and like, oh, look at me, I'm great and I'm great and I, and I do have an answer, but like, let's get your thoughts on that. Like, why is she well, interested? I don't understand why she would be. I do appreciate that they put David Warner, uh, the TGRI guy from Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze, as her like uh, acting tutor, because I was like, oh, cool. You know what? The We're going TGRI on a massive, massive tangent now because I met David Warner at a con once and no he way. like, yeah, and, and honestly, like, because there was like Peter Mayhew and all these other like super geeky attractions there. Like David Warner had quite an empty table, so I got to chat for him for a while. And I like you know like go up sheepishly, and there's like people getting like Time Bandits things signed and like Titanic and whatever you know because he was in like Star Trek and all this stuff. And I go up and I'm like, oh yeah, no, like I really can we talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Youths? And he and he was like really enthusiastic about it. He was saying like how they like costumes and things were like like amazing to look at and how like modern movies just don't do things like that and he's saying like yeah. you know it was like a great experience to be part of and it was like more believable and it was just like a bit of fun and he said it was non-union so it was just kind of you know like a, a fun thing to him for him to do at that time and then I, I did you know mention that it was in some of my other favorite films like the one we're talking about and yeah really nice guy um and I've got a photo of me and him somewhere so yeah David Warner yeah. oh that's a dream come true um yeah no he's a fantastic actor I mean like you, Turtles 2 is one of my favourite films of all time. So, um, you know. Only it were horror, we could do another episode. I know. Well, I mean, kind of technically it might be, I guess. I do um, think Turtles 1's better, but yeah. Uh, objectively, but I think in my heart, Turtles 2 is my favourite. <laughs> um, you know, anyway, I could because I could talk about Turtles 2 all day. Um, it pro it's probably the film I, I've seen the most in my life. Um, which is a scary thought considering how much I've watched some of the films. Okay, we'll um, do an Ninja Turtles podcast another time. I know well, yeah, it feels like she's an actress <laughs> um, so that they can have the theatre set and the scene where they're all running around with masks on. It feels like, because it doesn't really come up before that and it doesn't really come up again apart from the final scene of the movie takes place in the theatre. Outside of that, I feel like it's just why like well we want to have this set piece where like everyone's in masks and then the scream guys there as well you know like um so how do we do that well maybe she's a theater major oh perfect you know and yeah. it feels like that um, I, I agree. however they they do a thing in this scene that i really like and it happens throughout the film and again i only noticed it on this watch every time someone's killed rebecca gayhart and her blonde mate appear somewhere to subliminally make you think it's them because i yeah, did yeah that's exactly why it is which is a which which would have been amazing if it had been because rebecca gayhart is also the killer in urban legend urban legend yeah and how did I, you put me on the spot there and i'm like do i know this do i know this do i know this i do like, <laughs> well, like how amazing would that have been if she'd be like it's fucking me from urban legend <laughs> and i'm the same character yeah, welcome like, to the multiverse that would have been class like, and uh, Portia de Rossi of Arrested Development. Um, oh, so, right. Yeah, 
is the is the one and she was in Ally McBeal and some other stuff. Yeah, she was. I uh, see. I didn't recognise her. Um, Ally McBeal, well, yeah. of course, famous show because one of the characters is called Richard Fish. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, like at the, honestly, that's the only reason because ha have you seen Sydney? Like, she's well. The other thing is, so you you might not know this, Richard but I've met a lot of actresses in my life, yeah? Mm. And not one of them is has the emotional balance of Sydney Prescott. People like Sydney Prescott don't become actresses. Like, they just don't. Like, even before she was embroiled in this Woodsboro massacre, she's not the type of person who would become an actress because that's just not who she is. I don't know about that because, okay, talk to me about like the degrees of actresses because I think you can be a Sydney Prescott type. I think, no, I think you can girl. be kind of like shy and reserved, but I don't think you can be specifically Sydney Prescott, the character, and also be an actress. That feels completely unbelievable to me. <sighs> Unless it's that kind of like becoming a character, and if you're not happy with. Like, you know, if you're like scared in your own life, if you can sort of not pretend because that like plays down acting and like, you know, there's a lot of things that go into acting, like good acting, where you can actually kind of convince yourself you are that character. So it's like acting's a bit like dreaming, I would say. Yeah, so it's no, like I, you I, escape I, from who you are and you become this other person. So I can see why she'd want to use acting as maybe a kind of therapy. Yeah. I don't think it's completely out of the norm, but what I do, I, I, <sighs> But there's a she, scene where they show her being an actress. Right. On the stage, isn't there? Yeah. And she's goddamn terrible. <laughs> because she's playing she's she's Nev Campbell playing Sydney Prescott playing an actress. And that does not translate at all. Like it's like she's just not good. Like like she has like no emotion because that's her character. She's Sydney Prescott. Um, and like I say, when she looks at Derek and she's got like no sympathy for the fact he's been hurt, I go, this woman here would not be an actress. That's just not the career choice that she 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 would make. Um, when you find out that she's like um, like a hotline specialist in the third one, makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? Like she's like um and she's like locked away in the middle of nowhere and yeah, I mean, all the security. Locked away thing, like I, you know, I get it after a couple of massacres, but in general, that feels like that suits who the per that person is before the all this started. Like you can imagine that she would have become something like that. I don't like the actress thing, I don't I don't completely think it's impossible though. And I and I when she's on the stage doing the speech and everything. I don't necessarily think she's bad because I don't, well, one, I don't know the play, so I don't know like the context of the character or anything. And then I don't know how much of it is Sydney trying to be an actress and whatever. I think a better scene to think about is when she's talking to David Warner and she's saying, I'm a fighter. And he's like, I don't believe you. I'm a fighter. And like the final time she does it, you almost believe her because you can kind of see she's like a little bit upset doing it. So I, I, I think. I mean, now we're just talking about is whether or not Nev Campbell is a good actress. But I, I no, I think Nev Campbell's yeah. a good actress. I've seen her be a good actress in a great many things. But I, I don't believe Sydney Prescott, the character, would become an actress in any way, shape, or form after the first film. Definitely not after the second film. I don't um, think she'd want the attention. 
yeah, absolutely not. I mean, but in the first film, she doesn't want attention either. Before all mm. this happens, after everything that happened with her mother, she's so reserved. I just, it feels such like such a weird choice. Like if she'd been studying like philosophy or like, or anything like that. Yeah. And they, like, and all, all they had to do was just make Derek the actor um, and have her be there in the performance. If there's anything I find ridiculous, it's that all of these people go to the same university. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, Jerry O'Connell <laughs> is very good in this, though. Um, and they do spend, like, uh, a disproportionate amount of the runtime trying to convince you he is the killer. Um, yeah. You know, uh, or that it probably is cotton-weary after all. You know, like, um, that's another kind of huge... Thing. I think he's he's great in this. Like, I noticed oh, yeah. more... <laughs> More this time watching this, how great Leave Schreiber is in this movie. Because he, uh, all three, you kind of think like, oh, I can see him snapping. Because you, I, I never, I never thought, oh, Cotton's the killer, but like when it gets right to the end, and he's like going, "Bet you that interview is looking real good." Like I believe that he is just psycho enough that he might actually go ahead and kill. Yeah, him. like he's like, like, you know, well, you know, things happen, and it, it does. And like after it, he goes, "Oh yeah, you know, I was, you know, I was just messing around." Like, but you do go, "Were you? Were you? Think, you were think, genuinely I, thinking about I that." I think, I think the beginning of the third film does kind of make that more concrete because he's like, mm. you know, that girl phones him. It's obviously the the scream guy, but mm -hmm. uh, he's like, "Oh hey, yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's talk. What do you want to do?" You know, and you kind of realise that he's kind of a bit of a scumbag. Like, so yeah. you know, I I do think. Yeah, I do think that's but that I like the complexity of him, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I like how horrified kind of Gail Weathers is about him, you know, that she's already kind of a bit repugnant, like, you know, in yeah. terms of how she acts, that even she finds Cotton Weary a bit too much at that, like, you know, by the end of the film. Like, and it's, uh, you know, it's good, it's a good balance. Um, but yeah, it is. But that, there's a moment at the end of that theatre scene where they show Rebecca Gayhart and her, her mate again. And I went, oh, you're right. So, yeah, you're trying to make me think it's these guys, which would have been a good twist. Um, then we've got the Saved by the Bellish uh, line um, where Joel leaves. Have um, we not, Have we skipped ahead there, though? Do we not have the, yes, I got that on film? Well, that happens way earlier when they... So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. all the character introductions, isn't it? Where Sydney punches her in the face and... Um, yeah. I think it, Gail, Gail's part's well-written and I think Courtney Cox is quite good in this. Like, I, I, uh, I, Yeah, I do feel like she basically has exactly the same story arc as she had in the first film. Yeah, she's like gone back to being a complete bitch, having softened a bit in the first film. Um, and like career, 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 and I don't care who I step on to get there. And then softens again. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Like, I, don't, I, I mean, literally, I can never decide whether or not Courtney Cox. She is turns good. up. She says some stuff to Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell punches her in the face. They're at loggerheads for the entire film, even though they both have the same goal in mind. Dewey then, even though he doesn't like the way that she's treating Nev Campbell, and this time himself as well, uh, you know, starts off very angry with her, softens towards her. She discovers that she does have feelings for these people really and she's not as cold-hearted as she thinks she is then people die she nearly dies 
and then she goes, oh, you know, but we made it through with survivors. Like, I can't even remember her arc in Screams 3 and 4. Is, she, uh, is it the same well, thing there? The problem or? is, that her arc's the same again in Scream 3. Right. Um, but I, that's what, I think this is why I like Scream 4, uh, is because it is an evolution of all those characters. Like I like... Yeah. I like how it manages to keep with the times as well. This is a different point, but like I, I, I saw a Scream One in the cinema last year, as I've said a few times. But like, there's a scene where it's like, "What's a kid your age doing with a cell phone?" And like, everybody burst out laughing, you know, just because like times have changed. Yeah. But then, then Scream the Four, how it does like, like the live streaming thing and all of that yeah. business. I think it's like it's good. So it'd be interesting to see if like Scream Five is like Snapchat deaths or something. I don't know like what it's gonna be. Um, so my next my next note is um, the VCR uh, soundproof room scene mm-hmm. where they go they, they get all these tapes and they go the killer must be on one of these tapes somewhere because they're lavish you know they're they're lavishing in their their victory you know the, so they must be around somewhere to be doing that let's go and look at these tapes so they yeah. go there and then they're gonna start banging because this is the point of in this movie of. Um, Courtney Cox's arc where she decides she's not a dick um, you know, until the end and, um, and uh, it's at this point that someone starts playing footage on the TV and this is the this is the giveaway of who the killer is because throughout the entire film, every scene Mickey has been there with his bloody camcorder stuck and to you his know eye what? I missed the whole thing the hundred odd times I saw it because I was watching that thing I was like Oh look, there's a clip on the TV, and you can see it. And I've n- it's n- I don't know if it was just because VHS resolution or whatever, but like I am just stupid and never noticed that the video clip they're watching is the two of them waiting to go into the cinema at the start of the movie to watch Stab. And I just never even really picked up what was on the TV before. It just it's it's a dead giveaway. Like, and how I didn't notice it the first time round. Well, what's really weird is. Even after the, uh, like, so I must have seen this the first time. And then um, I don't think I watched Scream 2 until years later again. And I forgot that Mickey was the killer. I, mm. I remembered Billy Loomis's mum. Mm-hmm. But up until that reveal, I was like, hang on. I thought. Wait, when are we talking? When did you forget Mickey was the killer? Um, so it must have been in between when it first came out. And yeah. then the second time that I saw Scream 2 a few years later. Right. Um, so we'll be like, you know, 2002, 2003, watching it again. I got to the end and was like, right, so here's where Mrs. Loomis comes out, yeah. you know, pulls the mask off and it's Billy's mum. And I remembered it clear as day. The mask comes off and it's Billy's mum underneath. And then it was Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. And I was like, whoa, hang on. I've completely forgotten about this. Like, you know, and I, but, um, because he's really not the main killer, is he? Um, no. And I do love how he, like, comes across and does his, like, arrogant, like, blame the movies, it's all about the trial. And, like, it's kind of echoes the reasoning in Scream 1 where they're like, oh, we're going to blame the movies and, we're, and like... So, well, he so, wants... He, like, yeah, Mickey's idea is... Mickey is a sick fuck who wants to get caught. Like, he, what, he wants... He wants the fame of being a notorious yeah. killer. Like, yeah. you know, um, and he talks about his documentary the whole time, th- the whole way through. And I guess he thinks it's going to make him like a prolific filmmaker. 
Right. Because every, every scene he's in, he's I don't like, even think about that. The fact his film that he's making about the killings is going to get it's out. Gone ages. Yeah. Sydney would uh, would be interviewed for my documentary. Uh, like in the background, he's always asking stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, yeah, I you know I think his motive makes sense, and it's quite an interesting take. And then I love that um, Billy's mum just appears and goes like, nah. Like it's this was all just about revenge, pure classic revenge. And I thought that's exactly what a slasher sequel is all about. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but I have missed something, so I need to go back. Go to it. Um, I mean, we're at the end of the film, so of course. <laughs> um, so, uh, the car scene. So, during this time, Nev Campbell ends up with two bodyguards Officer uh, Michaels, Officer bodyguards. Richards. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure one of them's gay. No, no, sorry, it's Andrews and Richards. Andrew. Is it Andrews and Richards? Yeah. Um, I know this because my best mate's called Andrew. I shouldn't have said that. So, <laughs> what, what I said to Anna when I was watching it, uh, right, so what happens is um, the, these guys are taking them somewhere safe, aren't they? Her and her roommate, Elle. And the scream killer comes out of nowhere. And what I said to Anna is, which one of these, the kind of like, you know, five foot five, like 120 pound film student or the... Um, or the kind of middle-aged woman is fighting these two professional bodyguards and beating them when earlier he got knocked one of these two people got knocked out by a phone. Are we calling five foot five? <laughs> like... uh, well, Mickey, he's not like he's he's a I th- I, Mickey's Mickey's tall. Timothy Elephant is no, a tall. No, well, I mean, in the film he do, he comes across as basically like um, you know, dark Randy, doesn't he? That's yeah. the kind of okay. Timothy Elephant, I've checked. The the internet says he's six foot even. He's not a small guy. Like well, okay, right, but, he's, not, he's not not a giant still, like you, but he's, like he's like he's, he's a weedy small dude in the film. Like that's kind of the point of him. He's like you know he's I, like a I nerdy. Film seemed, I always, see. I always thought he seemed like a cool guy who just is a geek as well. Like I don't. No, I think you're remembering like... him from like films like Hitman and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like Timothy Hitman, Timothy Oliphant, or Drew Barrymore's husband in um, Santa Clarita Diet. Uh, you yeah. know, I believe. No, that. but like I, I never watched what's that Western series that he's known for? Um, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, Deadwood. Is that it? Yeah, I, I see Timothy Oliphant as like a plausible leading man, and I'm like surprised why he's not like a huge sort of clint eastwood-esque star of I the think, modern day i do feel like my point still stands which of those <laughs> two characters beat up two professional bodyguards when earlier one of them got knocked out by a phone while fighting courtney cox well i think the answer is it's a third guy that hollywood hires to play the killer in all of the killer things or maybe there's an unknown killer and they we only ever find out about two of them maybe and it was actually, cotton weary and maybe actually co- cotton cotton weary who also probably could i mean one of the one of the bodyguards but if the killer like had been old, cotton you would have believed that scene i feel like but because it's i mean i have this i have the same problem with the first screen film and the fourth one a little bit is when you find out who the killer is, you go, you've been, some of the people you've been fighting here were not small people. Like, you know, it would have been fairly difficult to overpower. You know, and after time, all it takes is a bottle to the junk and you're on the floor. So, you know what I mean? It just I seems do, to me. yeah. 
But it does lead um, us to the what I think is the best scene in the film, um, which is the car crashes and they're pinned inside and the only way out is to crawl the across the killer yeah. and out of over his and I like that every time I see that scene I go this is what screen movies are about it's yeah. this tension like um it's almost italian like you know um kind of drawn from like kind of 70s italian horror like that's what it feels like like it's that kind of level of kind of uh, tension that you don't usually get in Hollywood films, like, um, and it feels so real. I don't know, it's just so good. Uh, and I think there's moments like that in the first scream, but I think this this is the moment in the scream franchise that does it the best. Um, and it's such a shame to undo all that work because um, they escape. Um, and then they run away, and she goes, "No, I've got to go back and find out who it is." And then obviously, you she know, goes back. you know, you know, even the first time you see it, he's not going to be there. But it's still a massive surprise when he just fucking kills um, who we assume will be a new survivor or one of the killers. Because I, I was like taken in by the whole basic instinct thing of like, oh, you know, it could be a woman, and like, there's always room for Candyman's daughter. Yeah, and I and I think. Like now, if you'd had like a black woman turn out to be the killer, that people would be really offended by that. But I think in '97 they could have done it, and people would have been like, "Oh, that's cool, that's new." Yeah, I agree. Okay, so that uh, that does take me to towards the end. Then, so uh, we've discussed that the reveal is that Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student, is the killer. Uh, he was hired. By or he's found by Billy Loomis's mum, who's had a makeover, which is why Nev Campbell didn't really see her in, amongst the media circus. But Gail Weathers had loads of interaction with her um, because the second she walks in, Nev Campbell's like, "Mrs. Loomis, Police mother, yeah, yeah, like," yeah. and you would, but she said mm. like, "But this is like sixty pounds and a huge makeover later." Like, yeah. so she hasn't noticed this woman running around in this media circus that she's been trying to avoid the whole time. Yeah. You know, so it's really even on a like a level of like because it's all it could all it could almost feel like they've picked who the killer is out of thin air, right? But instead, it does feel logical and like it works. And then obviously, Billy Loomis's mom turns on Mickey. Um, you know, uh, she was going to blame him for everything. You know, um, get revenge on her. And get away with it all, and that yeah. was her, her thing. And then, of course, Cotton Weary shows up, uh, who I think Courtney Cox at that point believes is the killer, um, because yeah, he so. turned up with his hands covered in blood. But it turns out he was the one who saved Dewey, and got people there too. I'm assuming, but then again, Dewey comes out like much later on. Like Gail Weathers didn't go back to find out if he was all right or anything. Like she just she stood outside afterwards, and then they go, "We've got a live one here," and she's like, "Oh, Dewey's alive!" Like she didn't go. I better go back. You know, I, obviously I was being chased by who I thought was the killer earlier, but I should probably go back and see if Dewey's still alive. Like, you know, but she didn't. She just went outside for a fag or whatever after it was all over, and then was like, "Oh, my ex-boyfriend's alive. Good, good," you know. Um. No, but 
So what I want to talk about is uh, the point where Nev Campbell defeats Mrs. Loomis with real rocks. Like mm. she causes like a stage avalanche of like, you know, like what, what you would assume would be like foam Polis polystyrene or something. Foam yeah. polystyrene blocks. But they Mrs. Loomis certainly acts as if they are very, very real. Um when she's kind of cast and I thought there's no theatre set in the world that would be allowed to have something like that <laughs> that could hurt someone in that way. Like you know, oh, I, I want to watch the scene again now because I'm like, I want this to make sense. What he's saying sounds true, but it must be something else. No, but like, it's, it just happens. Like, I mean, I'm sat there watching with Anna, and I said, like, I said, so you know, like, theater rocks, they kill you if they fall on you, right? But doesn't she like chop down all the like lights and stuff as well? Because she starts cutting cables. And no, yeah, she does falls. like drop like she like she cuts the cables and like the lights drop to like their kind of safety descent and stuff. But then she sets off like the rock, the avalanche that's like a stage avalanche and it all falls down and hits Miss Loomis. She's like, oh no, I've been crushed. And I'm like, but they'd be made of polystyrene. They would be made so they could not hurt somebody. Also, Anna made a really good point. Um, I've, I've, I've never seen a stage, like a set built, especially for a university play that would be built to that level where you could knock somebody out against a pillar or something. Like, you know, like... Oh, because you mean, like, the stage would collapse if, like... Yeah, because, like, Mickey's, like, doing this around one of the poles and she grabs him and pulls him and he bangs his head off the thing and, like, nearly knocks himself un unconscious. And I was like, again, they it wouldn't be made or, or, or be that sturdy. His head would just go right through it. Like, it would at least be made of, like, balsa wood or something like that. Like, it just... I mean, I understand that it's there to have somewhere that they can have a set piece, but it is extremely unrealistic that a set like that would exist uh, especially for a college play maybe it's an art school and they want all this real i don't know like i want i want it to make sense because i love I the mean, film so much just, i think i think everything you're saying is fair but it like doesn't, it doesn't I, ruin I wanna, the film but i, I want to suspend my I do, disbelief and I do have, have it be okay <laughs> i do have to point it out um also like there, is a, there are a few things that like, and like, it's very famous for films to do this, like where they just basically go like, we know that Cotton Weary shot this woman like to defend somebody else, blah, blah, mm. blah. Yeah. Like, but like the police don't know that. I've, I've thought that as well. And even like Sydney, like shooting the woman in the head just to yeah, make like, sure. You've got, to, like... you've got to explain some of that stuff away. The police are going to be like, well, like, listen, we know you've been through a rough time and that, but, like, this kind of looks like you murdered some people, to be it quite really honest. Does. It does. Um, you know, so, like, I'm sure in between the, the Scream 2 and The guns are the three, cops' guns, are they not? What? The, are both guns the cops' guns from the car? Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. No, because... I think, I think one of them. No, one of them's Mickey's. But I think Mickey gets it from a cop. Because they say something like, use the other cop's gun to, like... like... Oh, right. I thought... Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, but Mrs. Loomis has a gun when she comes in, because she's got... Because um, they do a fake-out reveal where they go, you know, who's behind door number two? And then Gail Weathers steps out, and we're like... <gasps> and then the door starts to close behind her, and then the last second, the gun pokes through, and it's yeah. Mrs. Loomis. And, you know, it's like... 
Um, it's a great I thought, I, th- I thought it was cops gone each, but I'd have to watch it again to check. Yeah, maybe um, you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, what about the, what, you were going to say more about Derek and the like boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they just spend the whole film just kind of basically going like Derek's going to be the killer. I don't like, think I ever thought he was, though. I think I kind of thought, oh. Well, the only reason I didn't think he was is because I thought that's. Or the, I think it's more they're trying to convince Sydney that he's the killer um, than they're trying to convince well, the audience that There he's is a the bit of a problem in her emotional reaction to his. Yeah, death. you said you were going to say this. Like, not. Because we've already seen her do it once before um, when he got cut and she's like, motherfucker. Like, that's her reaction when he's been hurt is to go, I bet you, you're going to be killing But you? then the cut, the cops are the same thing. It's like, oh, it's convenient how you didn't get slashed anywhere that would matter. Huh. Yeah, no. Kill, I, no, kill no, her much. And then I, mean, I like Derek, Derek's reaction to that. It's like, fucking excuse me. Like, <laughs> like, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's the film trying to say, you know. But at the end, she shows no emotional reaction to the fact that her boyfriend was shot earlier. True. It, like she's just like, like Cotton Weary's like, oh hey Sydney, you know what about that interview now? And she's like, sure thing, Cotton. Like she almost like gives him like a wink and a fucking thumbs up, mm-hmm. you know. Like he walks off and he starts talking to the press, and she looks at him like, fucking Grizzly Adams, like, you know. And I'm like, your boyfriend was shot 15 minutes ago. Like, so do we think that she was never really into Derek and like he was just in love with her? Just, so she 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 was like, oh yeah, he's convenient, he's hot, I'll stay with him. I, well, I, to be honest, I think it's just bad writing and uh, coupled with um her like her take on Sydney Prescott as like this emotionalist husk. So I think those two things together kind of like just don't sit very well. So at the end, like she she doesn't like. She's just wandering off, like the last shot of the film is she's like wandering off across like the grass and it just does this, by the way, very technically impressive crane shot. Crane shot. And I remember the moment when the VHS tape used to like add the black bars to make room for the credit. Oh, and, man. It's, and it's and it like went with with the movement. It's like I think pan and scan is a lost art. And it just kind of like go like this and like pull out. It's like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I really miss that. Like mm. the uh, the pan and scan. Um, kind of. You you put your movies on VHS tape, don't you? Like, I, just, I do, yeah, like, yeah. But I mean, we don't pan and scan them. See, I I actually I was watching just a bit of cheap promo. I was watching my film the other day, which, like most things, is sixteen nine, and I was like watching every scene, thinking like, which edge would I cut off for a pan and scan in each shot? And I think I think I could do it. And so, like, I almost want to produce a VHS tape just so I can have like a. I mean, it's just full a lot screen. of work. Um... I I'm assuming you just make the tapes yourself, right? Because no way. Yeah, I mean, what them. I tend to do is release them in their original format, which is like widescreen. So right. you know, you just run that, run that to a tape. Although with Legacy of Thorn, what I did do was um, I punched it into four three, and then that was a real pain in the ass because I had to go and correct mm. like a bunch of um, titles that weren't in the right place. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. I um, really want to make a four three version of my movie just so I can be like do the. Um... The, what is it, the Justice League thing, and just have it be the like Academy ratio. Oh, we did one is. of um, we did one of Slave for Phil's Day that you were in. We did the yeah. uh, the uh, MJ Dixon's mm. Slave for Phil's Day part five, the final Phil's Day. 
still definitely want to do the new one as well. Just like let's work out the timing so I can come. Yeah, yeah, of course. Do it. Um. Well, anyway, let's let's finish up. Let's talk about Scream. Scream Two. Um. So the last shot in the film, while Sydney's been completely emotionless about a dead boyfriend, by the way, um, is I don't even know how they've done it. So from what I can figure out, it seems to be a zoom lens. Uh, because it's a little unstable as she's walking off across the thing. But then it pans out through some trees, and I was like, uh, and it comes over the top of the university, and I was like, right, okay, so it's a crane. The river shall rise. Then she it said, starts flying. And I'm only like, the strong shall survive. I'm just imagining the shot. <laughs> it, then it starts flying like it's on a helicopter. And in my mind, I mean, someone who technically has had to put shots like this together before, I'm going, have they got a crane on the bottom of a helicopter? Like, that's all I can picture. So then I just picture a helicopter with like a crane arm on the bottom of it. But that can't be right, because that doesn't exist. And I just can't figure out how they got such a shot. Like, I'm guessing it must be like a combination of like zoom photography and a smaller crane on a higher level somewhere, but... Is it just, two shots digitally stitched together? I don't think it is, because it seems to be one shot. Also... I want to I wanna watch the Scream 2 end credits now, So because I, I did like actually um, watch what you're talking about. I did notice something really interesting about the end of the film, which um, you mentioned in digitally, you know, conjoining two shots yeah. together makes me think it's probably unlikely is like scream seems to be like one of the last films that was like you know i'm there were others um but that was like made using like traditional filmmaking like so um like it's all shot on film right it's all processed like you know traditionally like an old i mean they were doing was. that for a few years afterwards though, yeah yeah they? i mean i imagine it was probably edited digitally but they were still working with film stock and stuff, I guess. I, I, uh, would it have been There's edited digitally? There's almost no though? digital would effects it, in it. In 97, would it have been edited digitally? I think it might have been edited on uh, a, Perhaps not. On well, a, on one thing that makes me think it wasn't thing. is that the end credits, they have like, um, each character comes up with their actor name, yeah? Mm. I love that. And I ripped it off in a short movie that I did. There's, um, there's literal physical um, optical lines where they've like blacked out the f the rest of the footage around each one. It's not being yeah. done digitally. It's being done in an optical printer. In an optical printer. How can you tell the difference? Uh, it's just the way that the kind of light in the film reacts with it. Like, mm. so if it had been done digitally, it would look much cleaner than it is. Uh, right. You can see the film's been reprocessed. Um, it's like, you know, when you see a special effects shot in like an 80s film and yeah. like the quality drastically changes for that shot. Yeah. And it's like that. But then I realized I was, I thought back and I thought this whole film's been made like in a traditional way. In fact, I think you might be right. I don't even think it'll have been edited digitally. I think it might have been edited in the traditional yeah. way. Like I am watching this end credit shot, right? And when it zooms out, the camera goes through a tree. I've got yeah. no idea how, like, it's straight through the middle of a tree. 
So either it's a oh god, either it's a zoom lens, and they just happen to but, find I mean, a the, gap the in the tree. The first part of it is definitely a zoom lens because you can tell by the focal length of it. Um, they're very far away from it. Where does it cut to that shot though? Because she comes right out of the school because it tracks her. How can it track her if it's filming through a gap in a tree? I don't get this. Well, Let's do a new podcast about this one shot. I need to find out how they did it because it's massively impressive. Like, so, so it's, it's, it's tracking her, it's tracking her, it's tracking her, right? She's moving, the camera's moving, and then the camera like zooms out but it looks more like well i think oh, actually, no I think, you're right you're right it is a zoom because the things change size because I, I think it's mo i think so what's happening is they're zooming out but the camp the crane is already moving as well mm. so they've got they've had a gap they've moved then they've zoomed out but also the cranes moving so then you get the shape of the trees then the, okay. it's the second movement because they come to the top of the university and then it keeps going yeah. Like, and this this thing I found on YouTube has stopped when they get to the top of the university, so I need uh, to find. I mean, they cut off like at some point, which I'm guessing the shot became unusable because it already looks, even for a crane shot, quite unstable. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a really well done shot, and I cannot figure out how they've done it. Um, it's massively, by the way, uh, filmmakers. Well, Wes Craven won't care now, um, but um, like. It's massively distracting when I'm processing like everyone who's died and stuff to do such a fucking technical like end crane shot because then that's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about what happened to the characters and stuff anymore. I'm going, how have you done this shot? <laughs> so it's you're distracting <laughs> from your movie. Um, oh, and you'll I'm, be lucky to know most of my new film is static shots. There'll be none of that. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. None of this fancy, fancy schmancy crane shots. Um, but, but I think that. I think that, for me, wraps wraps up Scream too. I mean, I think it's a fantastic film, and not without its flaws. But I mean, what film doesn't have flaws? I could pick fault. I could pick holes in films all day. It doesn't make me like them any less. Um, I think. I think it's really like for all of the like flaws you point out. I think that the script is great. It has a bit of everything. It's like what I love about film is Scream films is they're horror movies, but they don't feel like horror movies. You could be watching like a comedy or whatever, and you go in and it's like, oh, people die, but they still have tension, even though they've done loads of things that would diffuse the tension, like joking about things, like being all meta. Like when the kills come, you do get involved in them. Even in, in Scream 1, it's like, oh, she should be running out the front door, running up the stairs, and then immediately runs up the stairs. You're still invested in it. Yeah. It's like, ah. Oh. I I, I, like, I, like I say, I mean, I like Scream 1, but I think I've, I've seen it too many times and in too many ways. You know, it's yeah. been spoofed to death. Yeah. And I think Scream 2 just takes everything that worked about it, much like Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me did, and just makes all those things slightly better and that's why it's a better film also the soundtrack is absolutely banging like it is class if you get if you can get a copy of the scream soundtrack you can probably uh, get, get it, it for like a pound on ebay i would have thought I, I i think when anna got a car with a cd player that's the first cd we bought was the scream 2 soundtrack i, I recently um, bought like a really knackered old car that has both a cd player and a cassette deck oh, it's like I've that prime moment in history from when we had a tape player car um well yeah it's uh it's worth checking out is there anything yeah, the else you want to say before we um go? i could talk about it for hours and hours and hours but we need to go like can we just what do you think of the performances like i mean I, like every everyone is really good but then everyone went on to be really famous apart from um, 
Holly. So as I far would as have, we know. I would have liked to have seen, I know she's in a couple of things I haven't seen, but I would have liked to have seen Neff Campbell in more things because she was like a huge star in the 90s and then sort of around 2000, she just stopped being in things. Yeah. Um, so. I, I, yeah, I think I think she's good. I think... I think she plays Sydney right, but then the, 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 some of the story elements don't balance that up. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the some of the some of the story elements, like the fact she's an actress, the fact she seems to fucking hate her boyfriend, like they don't sit well with the way that she's playing the character. And I think this the script sometimes betrays her performance. Um but I, I do think that Jamie Kennedy, especially knowing Jamie Kennedy now, um, I think Jamie Kennedy, man, you know, what an actor he was. Like, um, like you know, it's a real shame that he seems to have fallen so far because I think um, watching this, like in the first film, I find him kind of just a bit annoying, but he really is very good. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame to see his character go because I felt like he was coming into his own you know uh, in this film at that point um, but yeah I mean to be honest everyone in it's pretty famous and so it's really good it's probably the best ensemble cast you'll ever get in a horror film that's fair One th when this film came out I used to get this like free film magazine called Flicks and I remember this came out and then maybe a few months later on around the same time Halloween H20 came out and I remember them saying like forget Scream 2 this is the year's horror flick no offense but I'll take Scream 2 over Halloween H20 any day of the week yeah I have to agree uh, although I do love Halloween H20 Halloween H20 is cool but it's it's cool and they're like oh look we got um oh look Jamie Lee, Jamie, Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis's mum and now we're gonna have a bit from the psycho theme and now we're gonna have all these famous people who won't die because they're famous well I mean uh H2O is just Halloween well scream with a Halloween skin put over the top it was yeah it was yeah it almost wasn't Halloween-y enough like I oh. uh, no, yeah. no sorry go on. I was gonna say like I think I, th I think Halloween 2018 did a better job than Halloween H2O like uh, yeah, like they both have their problems, but I like them both equally as you know. As None well. of them are Halloween six, am I right? <laughs> and will they ever be? You know, um, I do have to mention one thing, like that I, I thought the whole way through Scream Two and um, Scream One, um, not so much in Scream Three or Four, but um, the vibe of like a town under siege running through the whole film is like eclectic like you know like it's just uh, it's, where is it do they ever say where scream 2 is uh, it's uh, is it not is it not in the same place but just is on it the still is it still is it still in woodsbrook because otherwise i'm just like why is Gale yeah, there why is dewey woodsbrook. there and they talk about the woodsbrook because i kind of felt like but are they somewhere else like where is well, the maybe. college supposed to be in scream 2 because um, they, they call I know, it, they call I know it the house Windsor is called College. Omega Beta Zeta. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know actually. Maybe it's maybe it's. Uh, I imagine it seems to be in the same state or whatever, doesn't Would it? We even know what state it is. Ohio, is it ever, it? Are we ever told where Woodsboro is? Is it? I don't know. I guess we could look at number plates because they say them. But all I've got is Windsor College is where the events of Scream Two occurred. Uh, filming was done in both Georgia and California for Windsor College. 
Uh, so. Oh yeah, it's California. It is California. <clears throat> so. Where is is Woodsboro supposed to be in California? Or? Yeah, Woodsboro, California. I thought it was Ohio for some reason. Um, I, I know, and I I know that they filmed the third one in Michigan, and ah, whatever. It's all. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> I mean, it but my point is that like it's that feeling of like oh, something dangerous is happening in our town, you know, like. And they capture that. That like I think that's the backbone of the first two Scream films. Is this kind of like, you know, they, 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 this kind of curfew culture? Like it's not safe to be on the streets. There's something lurking around in your town. You know, who will be next? Um, and they capture that so well with like, um, in the best way possible by basically having the media just there all the time. Like every scene is like it's it's playing out just behind the camera's eye just behind the kind of like mm. the safety of the public you know and yeah. that's really really good it's not like you know you're a babysitter alone in the house that's when you expect the killer to come it's like you know the media's pointing microphones one way and behind their back the killers you know the killer could have you just just before you get to the street corner to call uh, that, for help. And that's or... what I really like about the end of Scream 1. Like, even though it is contrived, it's plausible. Like, how they're like, oh, someone's hung from the goalpost and they all leave the house to go and see. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like that that level of fear is like, oh, like, like it's exciting, but also there's a level of danger there. And I think yeah. it's done so well in the first two Scream films. A little bit in the fourth one, but not I so think much there's so. a few American horror films that do that. We're in a town and we're all like, even the new Halloween, which has issues, but like it, it's kind of all in the same. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's all in the same town and all these people are like doing this thing. And I get there's that community and there's this world that's like, it's not a global problem. It's a, <clears> it's an issue for the place where we are. And I don't think there's an English horror film that does that. Like maybe that's a challenge for you. Oh, yeah, like yeah. that's just set in it because I think for us there's a relative safety where you can never be fully taken in by a horror film because it's like oh these are things that exist in America that aren't the same in Britain so you've got like an added level of comfort <clears throat> yeah because we don't really have like small town mentality here like you know what I mean like no don't have small town mentality it's easier to get from place to place you know you'd have to like account for like the train station being cut down or <laughs> like yeah. why why aren't there <laughs> local people but i think there's there's definitely something to be made in britain that does that and i've never seen anything that is i mean nothing springs to mind i'm really trying to think about it um even hot fuzz which is kind of that thing mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. really doesn't play it in that direction in the any closest way. thing i can think of is the wicker man but even there they take it to some <laughs> random island you know, it's yeah, not so like... well, the Wicker Man feel the Wicker Man feels is a story of like don't go to strange places that, that mm -hmm. you don't belong. Yeah, like Scream is like just outside your door could be, yeah. you know, um, the killer. Right. So what I'm saying is, I want to see the Milton King's version, and I want you to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Milton screams. There we go. It's done. <laughs> That's the name of Anna's festival she's putting together at the minute. So she'll kill Doing me. Doing a festival. Well, my my thing is like <laughs> horror aligned. It's not really horror, but it definitely has that thing. Well, yeah, in a we way know. that I never have done. We'll, uh, yeah. Send it over and we'll, we'll, we'll get it, it on. Um, okay. Uh, well, thank you for joining me, Richard. It's been good. Um, I, it's I'll, been a scream. <laughs> um, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, like I say, we plan to kind of, uh, I plan to do one of these probably about once every month and just looking at different sequels from different franchises. Um, but until then, 
Just repeat. It's only a sequel. 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 It's only a sequel.